Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The one thing we do know about Matthew or Levi is that there was a sovereign call on his life that day as Jesus came along and called him to come and follow him. In each one of the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that report this event, each one of them, there doesn't seem to be any hesitation at all on the part of Matthew to do exactly what the Savior called him to do. And just as Luke tells us, he left all, he rose up, and he followed him. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus visits the lucrative city of Capernaum. Upon entering the city, the Lord seeks out a tax collector named Levi and calls to the man to follow him. Levi responded by leaving his post with no hesitation. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us how Levi the tax collector became Matthew, the writer of one of the four Gospels. Today, Pastor David also admonishes us to be inspired by Matthew's unabashed and unreserved commitment to Jesus. Matthew was willing to leave his former life behind in service to the King of Kings. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, When the Call Comes. Ministry is a really kind of crazy thing, and I'm talking about being in ministry, whether you're actively involved in in a ministry here at church, or you've served uh, on uh, even a short-term mission trip, whatever it might be, any time that you're involved in ministry, it can be a pretty crazy thing. Todd and I were talking on the way to church today, we were kind of remembering some early ministry events, and just how crazy they were. This girl is probably married with children, maybe even grandchildren at this time. But years ago, we were at a church up in the Phoenix area. Uh, I can remember the girl's name, but I won't share it with you just in case. I don't want to get myself in trouble for slander or whatever. Uh, But she was just one of those children within the fellowship. You know, one of those children within the fellowship. And I think that she probably had to be about... uh, third or fourth grade or so at that time, maybe a little bit older. And at that point in time, we were in a church in a denomination where uh, they had the thrones up here, you know, and uh, the pastoral staff would sit up and the choir was behind us. And so one day, I I believe that I was leading the music. That's what I did originally when I got into uh, 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 ministry. I was a worship leader. Back then, they called them the music director. But I was the worship leader of this particular church. And we're sitting there singing a song, the choir's behind me, and all of a sudden, about three or four rows back, I look, and suddenly, this little girl ducks behind the the pew that she was sitting in. I'm thinking, what's going on there? So she ducks behind, and she comes back up like this. (laughs) And she's got pretend binoculars, and she's scoping out 
the entire choir. So the choir behind me, they're starting to crack up in the middle of things, and nobody else really knows what's going on. Just peculiar things. This is the same girl we had a church talent night. If you ever wonder why we never have a church talent night, it's because of this little girl, okay? She played the kazoo, okay? And she wanted to play, I believe it was uh, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace on the kazoo. Now, if you know anything about the kazoo, after about one or two verses on the kazoo, you pretty well got the idea of what she's playing. I'm sitting up, like I said, up on the uh, chairs, up on the platform. She goes about three verses through Amazing Grace, and she kind of slows it down and comes up. And I get up to, hey, thank you very And she starts on the fourth verse. I sit back down. She ends that. Surely she's done by, nope, she starts on the fifth verse. I never knew that there were eight verses to Amazing Grace until that young gal did. She had the platform. She wanted to make sure that everybody was dialed in. Ministry is a crazy thing. It wasn't too long ago, I think it was about a year or so ago, uh, I was up preaching uh, here, and uh, all of a sudden, I think it was Mike uh, Reardon noticed, and I believe my wife noticed, uh, those little LED pointers, you know, that sometimes on handguns, they have LED uh, things for aiming. Suddenly, there was an LED pointed right in my chest. And so, uh, again, security here at church, they're going freaking out. My wife is freaking out, wondering what in the world's going on. No, it's one of the youth that was there. And he had a little LED pointer, and he thought that was kind of cool to start shining. Ministry is a crazy thing, and it never ends. It never ends. It never ended for Jesus. And I can't think of, the, uh, of a crazier place to be than to be walking and ministering alongside of Jesus and all the things that he had to put up with. Not only did he have to deal with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but he also had to deal with his own disciples all the time because they were always kind of half a bubble off in a lot of ways. They did not understand his ministry for the entire three and a half years. It wasn't until his resurrection that they really understood what he was speaking about. It was only after the resurrection that really they got tired of putting their feet in their own mouths, and they started really understanding the truth of what the kingdom living is all about. During the earlier part of his ministry, Jesus was, again, moving from one area of ministry to the people, to another, to another, to another, and quite often he had to get that uh, time away with the Father. And we've seen this as we've gone through the book of Luke, and that's where we're at this morning. We're in Luke. I know that last week we took a little bit of a hiatus from Luke. We looked at uh, Ephesians, but this morning we are back in Luke chapter 5, and I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, turn to chapter 5 of the Gospel according to Luke. Now, as we're moving on in this, you need to understand that for Jesus, this was all the same day. The same day as when he got up and began teaching the people while he was at uh, Simon Peter's house, and the four men with a paralytic friend came and, and tore the roof apart in order to lower their friend down. You need to understand, this is all the same day. After all of that, and after his teaching, he gets up from there, and he continues teaching the people. They continue to follow him as he goes out of the house and begins walking along the seashore. Ministry never ended for him. He would have to take a break. You remember, it was at this point that he had already been pushed by the Pharisees when that man was lowered down before him there in Simon Peter's house. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. Remember, the Pharisees says, no, who can, you, you can't do that. The only one that can forgive sins is God himself. 
And you know what? Jesus agreed with him. And as a matter of fact, he says, in order that you might know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, speaking to the Pharisees, he then turns to that man, that paralytic. He says, man, pick up your mat and go home. The amazing thing is the guy did that. He got up, picked up his mat, and walked out and went home. And again, Jesus always with this press going on, always this attack going on. But Luke tells us that when that happened, when that man got up and walked out, it pretty well shut down the opposition. Luke tells us that all of those who saw it, they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Now, I talked a couple of weeks ago, I think it was with Roger Phillips about this thing of who all was the all in the midst of this. I wanted to discount the fact that any of the Pharisees really got a clue at that point in time. Roger reminded me, well, you know, Pastor, you're always saying that all means all, so I believe that maybe even the Pharisees were amazed. Okay, I'll give one or two of the Pharisees maybe were amazed by that. But the press still continued. The attack still continued on Jesus. We're now in Luke chapter 5. In verse 27, I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me there. In Luke 25, or Luke 5, verse 27, we read these words. After these things, he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. And so he left all, rose up, and followed him. When Jesus was done with the events at Simon's house that day, there were more divine appointments that were before him. And as again, he walked and as he ministered, he came along to a tax station, whether it be a booth or or a building, it was the customs house for that area. And you see, Capernaum was at a pretty strategic point there on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was an area where anyone traveling through that area would go through Capernaum. It was the main thoroughfare. If you were in Damascus headed to the Mediterranean Sea, you would go along the highway that would take you through Capernaum. If you were in the north going down to Jerusalem, you would go along the highway that would take you through Capernaum. And so the Romans decided that would be a great place to be able to put one of the custom houses or one of the tax booths. And so there they had it. And as Jesus was walking along, he sees a tax collector in the booth there by the name of Levi. He's the one we also know as Matthew. He becomes an apostle a little bit later. We understand that because of the busyness of Capernaum, to be a tax collector there in Capernaum would actually actually be a, a pretty lucrative job because as a tax collector, you not only got or received a, a payment for Rome or from Rome for getting the taxes from the people, but we find out historically that most of the tax collectors, publicans they're also called, most of them would rip the people off also. So in other words, if uh, someone owed $100 in taxes to Rome, well, they might get, uh, the tax collector might get $10, say, out of that $100. But then he would charge you, instead of the $100, he would charge you like $110. So then he could send the $90 off to Rome, and he'd keep $20 for himself, not just the $10. They would do that on a consistent basis, continually ripping people off. And so the Jews themselves really didn't like publicans, didn't like tax collectors at all. Not 
to unlike today. But anyway, they did not like them at all because they were always ripping people off. They were counted as, as along with the run of sinners and, and other lower class people. Why? Because not only did they rip the people off, but they worked for the Roman government. The Roman government that was, again, oppressive to the people of Israel during that time. And so here he is. He's working his job, despised by the people. And yet, with that thought, with that understanding, we see Jesus walking along, and as he's teaching the multitudes, we understand also that Pharisees and scribes are also walking along with Jesus, looking for another way to trap him. Mark tells us in his witness of this story was that they were walking along the shore when they came to this tax collection booth. He sees Levi, and he calls him to come and follow him. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Levi. We, we know his other name was Matthew. We know he was the son of Alphaeus, but that's about it. Levi could have been the most rotten, low-down scoundrel of a tax collector that there had ever been, but Jesus called him anyway. Or maybe he was a really righteous guy just in a really stinky job. We don't know, but Jesus called him. The one thing we do know about Matthew or Levi is that there was a sovereign call on his life that day as Jesus came along and called him to come and follow him. In each one of the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that report this event, each one of them, there doesn't seem to be any hesitation at all on the part of Matthew to do exactly what the Savior called him to do. And just as Luke tells us, he left all, he rose up, and he followed him. And there's this immediacy about his obedience, and there's this depth of commitment. It ought to be a lesson to every one of us. We would think, Jesus coming along, and he says, Levi, come and follow me. Oh, yes, Lord, but right after tax season. I'll follow you on April 16th. No, that, that's not what happened. You think, well, Levi, come and follow me. And Levi could have said, oh, yes, absolutely, Lord. But first, let me make certain that I can afford it. No, he left all and followed him. Levi, come and follow me. Oh, I'll follow you, Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll follow you on the Sabbath. I'll follow you on every other Monday, and I'll follow you maybe on Wednesdays too. No, that's not what it says. It says, Levi rose up, he left all, and he followed him. A little bit later, we're going to see where some others came to Jesus, and even Jesus calling these others. They, they said that they desired to follow him. They, they, they verbalized the fact that, yes, Lord, we want to follow you. But there was either ulterior motives or some kind of personal activities that they were involved in, other commitments that seemed to get in their way. Keeping your place here in chapter 5, we'll be back there in a moment. Go to your right, turn to chapter 9 of Luke. Chapter 9. Now we'll eventually get to chapter 9 in our verse-by-verse -verse study through Luke, but for this morning, just jump over there. I want to look at a couple of these incidences that happened. In Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57, we see one of these incidences. In Luke 9, chapter or Luke 9, verse 57, we read, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, said to the Lord, as the disciples and Jesus journeyed along the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It would seem as though Jesus understood that that particular individual, they were, they were willing to follow the Lord as long as there was some sort of stability, as long as there was some sort of security that was involved in following him. But Jesus doesn't promise that kind of security. He doesn't promise that kind of stability. You can ask people down through the ages who have followed the Lord wholeheartedly with every aspect of their life. Does that mean that your life is going to be rosy and everything's going to turn out wonderful and everything that you've ever needed is going to be provided? No, it doesn't. Sometimes you're going to really be put to the test. Some of you know when you gave your heart and life to Christ, it it turned your world upside down. And maybe even now as you're deciding, I want to follow God in a right, in an obedient way, you see that there's this continual press that's coming against you. If you're waiting for stability on this world, if you're looking for security on this world, it's not going to be found in following Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners and call us to himself in order that we might be about the kingdom's work. And sometimes that kingdom's work can get very uncomfortable. There was another in verse 59. Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Here this individual, they they express a desire to follow Jesus, but they want to follow him on their own terms and then their own personal time frame. Now, Jesus isn't speaking about not caring for parents. He's he's not talking about don't take care of the necessities. It's more the idea that before this man would follow Jesus, he wanted to wait until his father was, in essence, out of the picture. Wait until my father passes away, and then I'll follow you. Is there something in your life that you're waiting to happen in your life before you wholeheartedly give your life in absolute obedience to the Lord? Oh, I'm I'm ready to follow the Lord, but this has to happen, or this happens to happen first. I'm, I'm ready, I'm willing to go, but I'll do it at such and such a time. There was another one also in verse 61. In verse 61, we read, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I believe that Jesus understood, and so should we, that there will always, always be something in the way of absolute surrender. There's always going to be something within your life that's going to keep you from making that absolute surrender and sacrifice of your life, your time, and your talents to serve the Lord. There's always going to be an obstacle to obedience. That's just the way that the world is. But beloved, when Jesus calls us, we need to be completely willing to leave all the excuses, rise up, and follow him in obedience, whatever that calling might be. Seems like these were desiring a conditional surrender. From Jesus' response, it, it appears as though they wanted to hold on to the world and at the same time grab a hold of God's kingdom. And beloved, it does not work that way. God calls for us to forsaking all else to follow Him. 
The fact is, everywhere we look within the Word of God, the call of Jesus is a complete call. It's a total call. It's a call of all or nothing at all. And yet, somewhere in the process of time, the church itself, the church and even her ministers have, have, have watered down the call of God on individual lives. Regardless of the words used, very seldom is the call given to a wholehearted following of Jesus, forsaking all else, following him. Most often the call in most churches today is acknowledge Jesus. If you acknowledge Jesus, you'll be saved. You know the problem with that is? James tells us that even the devils know God. They believe God but at least they tremble. You see, when we look at the call of the, the fishermen earlier on in Luke, what does it say? It says that they forsook all and they followed him. Now we look at the call of Levi, and what does it say? He left all, he rose up and followed him. Now before you start to say, hey, that, that calling on those guys, that, that's different than God's calling on my life. God hasn't called me in as a minister. He hasn't called me in as, as that deep of a calling or, or that vocation. I, I agree with you. Our callings are different. Their ministry was different than most, but the calling of God is the same for each one of us. Jesus declares that no one, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's no doubt that Levi had heard, he had seen Jesus during the earthly ministry there in the Galilean area. There's no doubt about this. But this is the first time that we've heard of him. Surely he had heard about the miracles. Uh, he had probably talked to people who had seen firsthand. Perhaps he had even seen firsthand these miracles. We don't know. But we do know that on this day, Jesus caught his attention. And Jesus called him. The words of Jesus were simply, follow me. And there's no explanation of what that call meant. There's no introductory meeting to lay out the requirements to follow. Jesus says, follow me. And Levi left all and followed him. That's all Jesus said, but that's what, G that's what Levi responded to. A man who had been scorned for his occupation, ridiculed, rejected by his own people, was suddenly not only acknowledged, but he was accepted and he was called into a very selective group. When Christ calls, he does not call us for our comfort, for our convenience, or for compromise. We are called to die, to die to self and die to selfish plans. That's the call for every believer. And if you're here today and you believe that being a Christian is something less, then you are you're going to be sorely disappointed because that's not what the gospel message declares. He says all or nothing at all. In another place in Luke chapter 9, we read these words of Jesus. In verse 23, up a little bit earlier, Jesus said to them, how many? All. Jesus said to them all, if anyone, that's pretty inclusive right there too, isn't it? If anyone desires to come after me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross when it's convenient. Oh, I'm sorry, that's sometimes my version, I'm afraid. 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more.